Well, we're continuing our trek through the solas of the Reformation. The word solo, of course, means alone or only. And um, uh, we've, I, I confess to you, we've, we've been through a couple. Um, we've been through Christ alone. Salvation is through Christ alone. It's by God's grace alone. We receive it in faith alone. And tonight is talking about to the glory of God alone. But I have to confess, I had a little more trouble preparing for this one. Um, Lutheran theology doesn't focus on God's glory as much as some other theologies do. You want to talk about God's glory, you go to the Calvinists and, and work with them. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with some Calvinists this week preparing for this week's sermon. But um, since we're reflecting on what God has done in the last 500 years, one of the things that, uh, one of the people who sort of arose, I think really in response to Martin Luther uh, and his work, was a guy named Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuits. And um, he had a wonderful saying. He said, We are all students in the school of God. And if I trusted my Spanish better, I'd say it the way he said it, but I'm not convinced of my pronunciation. Um, you know, and I. And I struggled with this, so, so I decided to be a student this week so I could bring to you what I learned a little bit more of. Um, I think part of what we struggle with when we, we, we look at this to the glory of God alone is this word, glory. Um, I think we struggle with it first and foremost because of Hollywood. We live in a culture that is dominated by Hollywood. Everywhere you turn, whether it be that little electronic thing you carry around on your, your waist or at your computer screen at home or your television screen, something produced by the entertainment culture comes at you and we associate glory with the kind of self-serving stuff we see going on in the Hollywood culture where the idea is to attract a lot of attention to yourself because fame pays the bills. Um, and so we hear God say things like he said in our reading from Isaiah tonight, that I am the Lord, there is none beside me. And it sounds just a little egotistical, and we're sort of like, it, it maybe lowers our respect for God. Um, so I think we have a misunderstanding. We don't have a biblical understanding of what the word glory means. But I think there's another reason why, and that's that some words like glory are hard to define. They're hard to define. There are words that are hard for us to put a simple explanation around. And I'll give you an example that I'm sure you can acknowledge from your own uh, experience. Beauty. I want you to imagine I'm blind from birth and you have to explain beauty to me. How do you do it? It's tough. It's tough. We can share an experience of beauty with someone little by little. By having lots of experiences of beauty, we learn to respond to beauty and know what it is. But it's not something that's easy to put a dictionary definition around. Um, I'm keeping cards because I want to keep track of where my screens are. <laughs> um, you know, we come up with phrases like beauty's in the eye of the beholder, see? Why? Because we can't explain it to someone else. They either got to get it or they don't. <laughs> okay? So, glory is like that too. Um, we can know glory when we encounter it, if we've encountered it enough times before that we start to recognize it when we see it. But the problem is, most of us don't have a first-hand encounter with the glory of God. 
When Moses came out of the tent of meeting, his face shone with the glory of the Lord. And the people said, hide! Hide your face from us. Put something over that. Moses don't have that kind of experience of God's glory. But the place we can experience God's glory is in the words of Scripture and vicariously through the encounters that others have had with God's glory. So we're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on some passages that talk about God's glory tonight. Um, All this is to say that there's not a lot of cash value to tonight's sermon. Um... Most of it's a very big thing with pastors to give you a sermon you can go home and apply right away. I don't know how to apply this to your life because it's really not about you. <laughs> it's about God. And we also live in a culture that's always in a rush to get things done. We want our sound bites so we can move on. The only way we're going to understand God's glory is by sitting a little time with it and meditating upon it. So that's what we're going to do in my sermon tonight. The Bible uh, uses the word glory 329 times. Um, It uses a related word a lot more. Glory is related to another word. The glory of God is related to another word about God, God's holiness. The word holiness is used 698 times. So I've got over a thousand potential examples I can trot out for you tonight. I won't do that because I want to go home too. (laughs) Um, But holiness, um, to understand glory, let's start at holiness. Um, Holiness means set apart. Okay? And it's all the ways in which God is completely different from us. He is different in His greatness. He's different in His power. He's different in His character. He's different in His love. He's different in His worth. God's holiness is what is distinctive to God. And we can only share in it when God gives us a gift and lays His hand upon us and shares what is intrinsically His with us. Now glory is something related but a little bit different. I'll give you some examples of glory from the Scriptures. From the Old Testament... Um, when Moses I love this this drawing I don't know who did it but it's really neat Um, when Moses asked God about if, if he could see his glory God said to him no because you'll die so here's what we're going to do I'm going to tuck you in the cleft of a rock I'm going to keep my hand over you so you can't look at my face and when I get just far enough past you I'm going to pull my hand away and you can see my back that's about as much as you can take Okay. God's glory is so amazing and so out of our experience that to encounter it with full force would be deadly to us. The prophet, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, in the beginning of his book, begins with a vision. Um, you see, I don't know if you can see this down here. We've got some, uh, some angels down here amongst the flaming wheels. And this is, where he, this is where I'm picking up the text. He says, Above the expanse of the angels' heads, there was a likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. 
and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. Was that kind of hard to listen to? The appearance of and kind of like the, and the sort of, and then I saw this thing that was kind of like this. He's got no words to communicate to us what he's seen. So he's drawing as close as he can from our experience. It was kind of like this, it was kind of like that, but I just can't explain it to you. I'm getting as close as I can. God's glory. And um, I hope you got a chance to enjoy the sky today. It was gorgeous. Um, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Probably the most famous passage of Scripture about God's glory. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. So a few few Old Testament examples. New Testament, the word glory continues on. Remember this one? I will always hear this passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke with Linus reading it to the children, right? And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I always hear it in the King James, too. (laughs) Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke. The glory of the Lord dispels the darkness of the night for these shepherds who are on the night shift. The beginning of John's Gospel, my favorite passage of Scripture, John 1, 1 through 118. The prologue to John's Gospel. The evangelist says to us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. I can do most of it from memory, but that's enough. (laughs) The glory of God found in the face of a new child. And of course, Jesus himself, on the night in which he was betrayed, prays to his Father in what we call the great high priestly prayer. And here's what he says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The glory of God has been Christ's from the beginning because He is God. He glorified His Father in His earthly ministry and prayed that through the cross and what was to follow, God would glorify Him again. And um, as to what came after, I can't remember who did this painting. It's one of the most famous paintings of the Ascension, but um, here's what the Apostle Peter wrote in his first letter. Jesus was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
Christians do not believe in spite of the evidence. We do not believe in spite of history. We believe because of the evidence and because of history and is because God glorified His Son and has Him seated at the right hand of the Father now that we, that we give glory to Him. So you're starting to get a picture of what glory looks like. You get, it's kind of like a mosaic. You put lots of little pieces in and you start to see the picture start to emerge. Glory is something different. It's what we can perceive of God's holiness. It's always less than His true holiness, but it's what we can perceive of His holiness. I love John Piper. I told you I was going to quote a Presbyterian. John Piper has this wonderful phrase. He said, Glory is the going public of God's holiness. It's what we experience of it. It's the manifestation of God's unique power and majesty and righteousness and love. This is glory in biblical perspective. Now, glory is communicated in two dominant images in Scripture. You're probably picking up some of them as we go along here. What have all these paintings had in common? What's... Huh? Light. Light, okay? Um, Light dispelling the darkness, one of the dominant images of God's glory. Of course, the darkness is spiritual darkness, not merely physical darkness. And so the prophet Isaiah later on in his book will say, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And another fun and beautiful word, um, along with another image uh, from Scripture along with uh, light, is weight. This is the Jewish word, Hebrew word, kavod. I love this. First time I ever, I, I sat in a word study on this. It was Patrick Henry Reardon giving the, the study. He's got this booming bass voice and he read to us um, Psalm 27, which is full of the word kavod. And he says, the kavod of God, can you feel the weight? <laughs> you know? The weightiness of God. This is why the author of the sermon we call the book of Hebrews said, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Not because He doesn't love us, but because He is amazing in His scope, in His weight, His gravity. The prophet Isaiah, when we, when we do a full liturgy around communion, and we sing the, the Sanctus, we get these words from the prophet Isaiah. In, at the beginning of his book, was he has an experience of God in the temple where he experiences the glory of the Lord as the train of God's uh, robe. So it's the, sort of like the long thing that, that hung behind you the other night. Uh, when, right? did, you get a, did you get a robe as homecoming queen? You didn't get a robe? Oh, okay. <laughs> I got a sash. Oh, well. Well, kings usually had these long robes. And uh, the, the, the train of the, the Lord is hanging down. And here you see, you see the six-winged angels on the side. Those are the cherubim. The, the angels of fire or the seraphim up at the top. And uh, the angels cry out when they're, they're adoring God and worshiping God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth is full of His glory. You've sung it so many times. Heaven and earth is full of His glory. He's holy, but the world is full of the manifestation of His holiness. And of course, on to the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. I won't ruin it for you, but it's kind of a spoiler alert. At the end, God wins. <laughs> um, 
And here's what, here is what John sees in his vision. After all the terrifying things have happened in the early chapters, at chapter 21 there's a change and he sees the new heaven and earth coming down and he says, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The glory of the Lord is the light of heaven. And yet, we're told that the kings of all the nations, the word nations meaning essentially Gentiles, everyone who doesn't even believe in God, like Cyrus in our first reading, are bringing their glory in and laying it in worship at the altar of God. Now what this means, not to put too fine a point on it, is that they bring, they're bringing this into the eternal city because all the best that we can manage to do as human beings is nothing but a pale reflection of God's own glory. Whatever you love most in this world is nothing but a moon-cast shadow to the glory of God that it is an imitation of. The glory of God. This is... This is an amazing thing to think on, to reflect on. In our first reading, I mentioned Cyrus. You know, it says, God calls Cyrus my anointed. You know the word there is Messiah? Even though Cyrus doesn't know God? Cyrus is going to be the instrument God uses to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and bring his people out of captivity in Babylon. He doesn't even have to know God for God to be able to do that. The glory goes not to Cyrus. It doesn't go to Isaiah, the prophet who writes it down. It doesn't go to Nehemiah or Ezra who helped rebuild the temple. It goes to God. See, everything, and to put it bluntly, everyone we love was conceived first by the mind of God and is some reflection of His glory. These are some of the people I love best in the world. (laughs) This is our goofy picture. Y'all do that after you do the fun picture. You have to do the serious picture. They have to do the goofy picture. This is our goofy picture. Because we always get so annoyed otherwise. <laughs> they live in a family that takes a lot of pictures. Um, they have two aunts now who love it. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, what's amazing for me to think is that all the things I love about the people I love most and all the things they love about me are but pale reflections of the glory of God. What's holy and amazing about Him. A quick example from history. If, if Martin Luther was the father of the Reformation, um, its patron artist was Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, 
that's one of the classic proofs I heard Peter Kreef give for the existence of God. This is a professional apologist. He spent his whole life trying to explain the existence of God and argue with other people in the philosophy department at Boston University. And he said, my simplest proof for the existence of God is that the music of Bach exists, therefore God exists. You either get that or you don't. <laughs> but Bach, here's a man who almost every day of his professional life wrote close, hand-wrote close to 20 pages of music every day of his professional life and had 13 children. When did he sleep? When did his wife sleep? But he signed every piece of music the same way. First with his name and secondly with the initials S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Because he knew That if he did anything of worth, it was only because God had given him the gifts to do it and it was but a reflection of the music he would someday hear in that heavenly throne room around the eternal worship of the living God. Like I said, there's no cash value in today's sermon. I can't tell you how to apply this. But if we can't apply it and do something with it, we may be able to found our life upon it. Does anybody... um, The glory of God alone may give us the foundation we need to grow into the people God's called us to be. Anybody know what this is? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, we just had one of these not too long ago. Anybody go out and see it? Get the glasses? Hung out? Do that? Try it a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Best party ever, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is called the corona of the sun. It's only visible during a full eclipse. Um, I learned this from a physicist. If it were not for a total eclipse and were the sun and the moon not the exact right size and the exact right distance apart, there is no possible way that humanity could look out beyond the solar system into the rest of the universe. The, the way the light comes in and can be measured during the corona, the, the, a full eclipse, is the only scientific measurement we have that allows things like the Hubble Space Telescope and all those things to work. The corona of the sun is the glory of the sun. It's the atmosphere. It's what's coming out of the sun. Just like God's glory is what comes off of Him. Without the corona of the sun, we could not possibly know what we know about the universe And it is exactly the same way with the glory of God. Did you see a lot of pictures like this a couple months ago? (laughs) I love these pictures. I googled all over looking for these pictures. look Look at everyone. There's some looks of awe. There's some smiles. Most people's mouths are wide open in amazement. And I noticed there was something universal about all these pictures. If you look at especially the ones with the big crowds, occasionally you'll see someone whose face isn't quite as overwhelmingly amazed and they're always looking down. They're checking their cell phone. They got distracted by something. Somebody asked them a question. So Then, quite literally, their faces fall. But when they're staring at the glory of the sun, look. How much more when we stare at the glory of the Son of God? If we keep our eyes on Him, our lives can have a firm foundation 
even if there's no way to apply that glory to anything in our lives. So, let's join together for a word of prayer and thank God for all He's given us. Holy and gracious God, we thank You so much that You have in Your goodness given Your glory to the world that we may know You. Especially in the face of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that You forgive us for the times we think You're like a human being that needs your ego stroked when You say that the glory should come to You. Forgiving You the glory is just our way or should be our way of rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto you what belongs to you alone. Thank you, O Lord, for looking upon our darkness and giving us the light of your glory and giving us the weight of your holiness to build our lives upon. Strengthen us and bless us that we may always keep our eyes on you no matter what our situation. We ask this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.